0: Dear friends, for some time we have been looking at this doctrine, doctrine of the end times or eschatology, uh, which is a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. It is this doctrine that Christ will come uh, at a certain time, at a certain point. He will come visibly. He will come not spiritually, but he will come visibly. And all that the scripture tells us will be fulfilled to the very letter. But the issue that the Christians have struggled with down through the ages has been the issue of, well, how will these things happen? How and when, we could say. What's the length of it, length of the time going to be and the process of it? And so we looked at this issue before and said that, well, we um, can categorize people's thinking into three categories, we could say, of, of this the various views about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, it was this general view, very popular view in our day. It wasn't always popular, but in our day it is popular, which is we call it dispensational premillennialism. And and we said within that uh, there are those who don't exactly hold to a dispensational view, but they hold to a literal millennium that Jesus Christ will come and he would reign for a thousand years, literally, Upon the earth, and we analyzed it, we surveyed it, um, and uh, we pointed out a number of things that people ought to think about, and people ought to um, to to, um, think. Well, does the scripture teach that or not? And uh, and then we have had to move on because we spent many weeks on these things, and I have to confess that all of these viewpoints it, it takes years to actually analyze them. Uh, not just a a couple of sessions. And uh, the same applies to what we want to think about this evening. A second major view of the last events is what is called postmillennialism. And uh, uh, while postmillennialism also appears in various forms, in, in general, I want to speak about what postmillennialism teaches, very generally. And I have friends who would say to me, "Well, that's not exactly right," or so on. There are various shades within all of these views, and uh, so a viewpoint that that I would then go on later on to speak about the amillennialism, I would fit into that. But then again, I, I fit into some form of postmillennialistic amillennialism. So it's, it's we can't um, uh, we have to appreciate the fact that. Uh, we um, have to analyze these things, but we can't compartmentalize them exactly in sort of solid cement. And there are a variety of views within them. So, um, uh, so and, and here I have many good friends who hold to this view, and to some things I hold to the same views. Uh, but you have to be convinced in your own mind uh, about these things. So I want to give a very general viewpoint, and I hope I'm, I'm being, um, uh, uh, I'm not being biased, but I'm giving a simply factual view of what postmillennialism teaches. So there are a number of things. First of all, again, very generally, and it is all to do with the second coming of Christ and how it would happen and all of these things, or before it, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. The first is this, that the entire world will... General, uh, gradually, be one for Christ through its hearing of and conversion to the gospel, and, and so passages as we have read before us in Isaiah eleven would be quoted many times, and other passages from Daniel and throughout the Scripture. There are all kinds of uh, texts that could be used to to show that the knowledge of the Lord, as it says in verse nine. nine uh, and sh- uh, shall cover the whole world. There sh- uh, and it says this, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So passages like, like this are, are used to say there is going to be this gradual understanding of, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ throughout this world. The second point is this uh, in describing what post-millennialism is. So first was the entire world will gradually be won for Christ through its hearing of and conversion to the gospel. Secondly during this time sin and conflict will gradually be defeated and righteousness and peace will increasingly reign throughout the world. So during that time, sin and conflict, wars, will stop, gradually stop, and righteousness and will increasingly reign throughout the world. And they have various passages that they would point to. And I would say to you, if, if you want to know some of the commentators who hold to a post-millennial view, one would be our favorite, Matthew Henry. And so he would interpret these passages in a certain way. And, um, and so you have to be bearing these things in mind. The third, third um, um, point would be this, that this 1,000 years of golden age time of gradual, we could say betterment, is the millennium. Uh, so this, this time of continual, Um, betterment of things Um, it it is what is called the 1000 golden age 1000 year golden age that is the millennium of course as i said some post-millennialists do not interpret the 1000 years literally but figuratively and a variety of views within that and then the fourth thing is this Christ will return, that is what they would say. Christ will r- return at the peak at the close of this continual or continually improving millennium, a time with which all the world shall be serving God in peace, so that 's when Christ will come, when the whole world is more or less serving God. The world world more or less is a Christian world that Christ comes to uh, the church at this time will pass into eternity in in a calm and smooth and almost unnoticeable transition. And then the fifth thing is this. And some postmillennialists include a brief temporary setback immediately before the prior to Christ's return called the tribulation. And this tribulation is a small uh, sort of scale, small scale. However... And, uh, it, it, it will happen, some would, some of them would say, and will not seriously affect the, the main direction of the millennium. So the millennium, this betterment of things, this in general improvement of things, it's continually happening. And they would say this is happening now. In the world we are talking about. In the world in general. Not, we are not talking about the church. The thing that I, I, would, I would say is that I believe that the church will continue to be blessed. The ch- church of Jesus Christ will continue to grow. The Lord Jesus Christ will build His church. But I would, I would critique this point by saying the world will wax worse and worse. But we can't say the same in terms of the true church of Jesus Christ. There's the false church that will become worse and worse and more apostate, but there will be The Lord's true people will continue to grow as the Israelites did in in Egypt. Now, we ought to ask then some uh, some questions about this. And again, we speak about these things with greatest of respects. Um, When we think about it, uh, many of the Puritans, some of the reformers, they were post-millennial in their views. And they acted in this way. Their their views on politics and on government and all all sorts of other things were influenced by this. They did much good and they continue to do so. There are many good theologians today even who hold to that. Many faithful men of God who uh, preach faithfully hold to these things. And and same same could be said about dispensational teachers and so on. That we could say that there, there would be those who would be very faithful in so many ways. But we have to analyze everything by the word of God and ask questions. So what one question I would have is that what totally secular theory, would you think, parallels post-millennial thought and pictures a steady advancing and more enlightening or enlightened society that will attain a golden age state of existence? What are certain views? The the non-believers have this view that we are just going to get better and better. There's at least that one view there is there, that uh, there is this uh, great new world we are evolving into. The whole idea of evolution is this view of of things are going to improve. And so then people are surprised when things aren't improving, humanly speaking. But another question that we could ask is that what great difference is there between secular and post-millennial thought on on this matter then? Are we getting better? Are we simply modern days when people say, well, we need to modernize things. We need to uh, move forward and so on. It's as if the idea is that things are moving forward. We are getting better. And then how is the time before the worldwide flood compared in the scriptures to the time prior to worldwide judgment? Was the world's condition steadily improving? And at the golden stage, golden age stage, why will both old worlds need to be destroyed to usher the new world? So again, to explain the post-millennial view as we think about these questions, and as I said, which was, has been held by many um, good men and women throughout the ages, many of the books that would be on your shelves, many things we might recommend and have on our, in our library would, would have been written by them. But it doesn't mean that we should not test all things and, and not appreciate there is a variation amongst their views. So again, think about this as I try to explain the viewpoint is that they would teach that that if you imagine the, the present age is, is like a flat line at, at the millennium period. And as it begins, there is either literally or symbolically, there is this gradual, steady Progress, this increase of grace and increase of righteousness and increase of peace on earth—that's what we should be aiming for. That's what we should be aiming to do politically and outwardly, and 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 change things as much as we can. We redeem the culture. That's part of the thinking behind that. You, you redeem the music. You redeem the, uh, the the various things that happen in our society. Again, I don't want to be unkind here. I don't want to speak in extremes, but that's part of the thinking behind that kind of theology. But there is this increase of righteousness and peace on earth, they would say. Then at the end of this glorious millennium, as things are getting better and better nearly becoming like heaven on earth, there is a small setback. There is this period of tribulation years. A temporary setback that some some of the postmillennials believe, which then results in Christ's second return, and that the and, and then the day of judgment and resurrection happens. So, if you think about it, compare postmillennialism view, compare it with premillennialism or dispensational premillennialism, pre-millennialism. postmillennial view views uh, it, it avoids the premillennial problems connected with Christ's uh, leaving heaven and returning to earth, on, uh, to reign on earth for a thousand years before the end of time, and the difficulties associated with two or, or more different resurrections and judgments. So it, they don't have that problem. They say, well, we believe in one judgment day. We believe in one day of resurrection, and so on. So they don't have that problem. However, postmillennialism still retains a number of things that we ought to think about and they ought to answer. They still retain some of the problems of premillennial thoughts. Um, And I've said certain things previously, but let me highlight a few of these things. First of all, some of the issues would be uh, the, the picturing of God's kingdom as a physical rather than spiritual kingdom. That's one of the issues. Again, thinking of God's kingdom as is a, is a physical kingdom. And, and so then it, we need to physically act on making things better. So this is where um, the, the theology is behind various uh, redeeming the, of the culture issues, and we need to somehow bring King, God's kingdom on earth. Again, I, I may be dealing here with, with those who would be in the extreme side of postmillennialism. Not all of them hold to this. But then there is another issue, the view of viewing of Christ's kingdom as something to come in the future rather than something that is here and, uh, presently. So it is something that is going to come. We are waiting for that. Golden golden age. But in addition, the postmillennial thought presents the following biblical difficulties. And I want to go through a number of these things um, with, with a number of scriptural examples and quotations. Postmillennial um, explanations. Picture the end of the world as a golden age of righteousness and peace, while the Scripture, as we read it, as, as far as I, I, I read it, testifies of it as a time of open sin, as a time of unbelief, as a time of wickedness and turmoil. And, of course, they would have their view on it, but I'm, I'm seeking to, um, uh, to analyze those, those Scriptures. The Scripture presents the last days, as days of unbelief. In, in Luke, for example, Luke 18 and verse 8. Luke 18 and verse 8. Just very quickly, I'll, I'll read those verses. Luke 18 and verse 8, our Lord says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth?" The answer is no. That's the, there is not going to be a general faith. There is a, Season of self-centeredness at that time, not of righteousness and peace. In Second Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 3, Second <clears throat> Timothy 3, and if we turn to verse 2, It says for, uh, well, verse 1, it puts the context. This this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. This this is the kind of people we will find. There is this self-centeredness that abounds. There's a worldliness that abounds. Our Lord Jesus Christ says in in Matthew 24 and verses 38 and 39 about it being very much like the time before um, Noah built the ark. There is this public um, sinfulness that we have just read in 2 Timothy 3. In verse 3 it says, without natural affection, truth breakers. False accusers, incontinent, meaning they can't control themselves. Fierce, despisers of those that are good. And goes on to say, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So he says, th- these are the kind of people that, is going, that are going to be much more prevalent. They've always been in the history of the world, but they're going to increase before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also there is a, this great falling away from the truth. So those who profess to know the truth, they fall away from it. Those who profess to be true Christian and children of God, they, they will not stay in that. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, we read, Let no man deceive you by any means, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that they shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin sin be revealed, the son of perdition. There is also the worshipping of the Antichrist. Uh, Again, in in those passages, it is to do with the the revelation of the Antichrist to all. Um, And there it says, of this man of sin will be revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So there is this great uh, honor that is given to the Antichrist. In verse 8 it says of Second Thessalonians 2 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And then also there there are times of seasons of tribulations, persecutions that the scripture says. There are going to be increasing time of conflict, wars and rumors of wars that our lord jesus christ speaks about so you think about those things dear friends is this talking about a time that there's going to be general increase of the uh, the peace and prosperity and righteousness and and uh, the the acceptance of the gospel In Matthew 24, verses 7 through to 10, let me read it to you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ said, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to, to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. That's the kind of age that will be the end before Christ's coming. So there are these issues, and I haven't read anything convincing about how do we explain these passages. And um, because they do not speak very positively about the end, about the world at large in general. So, that is the third thing that, that in terms of our analysis postmillennial explanation or expl- explanations picture the end of the world as a golden age of righteousness and peace while scripture as i've quoted you testifies of it as a time of open sin and unbelief and wickedness and turmoil but then the fourth thing we could say is this postmillennial teaching portrays the present age as smoothly and almost unnoticeably sliding into the coming age while Scripture testifies of it as a great catastrophe, a a tremendous intervention of God, a passing away of the old heaven and the earth and the establishment of the new. Think about these words that our Lord Jesus Christ says in In Matthew 24 and verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's in Matthew 24 verses 29 to 31. Another text we could think about from 2 Peter 3. And and this is speaking about the the great catastrophic events that will take place. It, It shakes everybody. To the core of their being. It's not a just a seamless sliding into, the, in, in, into heaven as it were. It says in Second Peter 3 verses 10 through to 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It speaks very um, powerfully about what takes place. We cannot really fathom it. We cannot really picture it in our minds. And then another text, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 27. Similarly, we read there the apostle saying, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Dear friends, these are just some of the texts that I have brought up for you, as as samples of of things that thus challenge uh, the post-millennial view that, as I mentioned, it teaches a general progression towards the whole world being filled with, with gospel light, and not only that, but actually people holding on to these things and believing these things and being transformed, and that the governments of this world will change and so on. Well, with, with these texts that I've quoted, it, it produces some problems. And uh, I need some uh, clear explanation and exegesis of those passages. But let me say this to you before we finish. So I've, I've just highlighted these things. I have sort of done a hit and run, uh, really, uh, because we can't deal with these things in such a, uh, such a short time that we have. And I'm not doing any of these things any justice. And uh, probably uh, some folk would be very unhappy with me uh, if some, some friends would listen and, and think, well, no, he didn't explain this correctly and so on. I'm giving a very general view of these things. But, but while everyone should strive to develop as clear a view of, of these, the doctrine of the end times as the scripture allows, yet persons can believe differently in this matter and yet be true Christians. Why is that? Why is that? Because our salvation does not come from our theology. Our salvation comes through Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord and Savior. That's where our salvation comes. Salvation comes by grace alone, in Christ alone. And, and so it is that there are various believers who have held to varying views. And I was reading yesterday of Arthur Pink, or listening to um, a portion of his writing of Arthur Pink, and he, he did change his viewpoint on, on, on some of these points. And, uh, and, and to the end of his days, he was studying the word of God. And that's where we should be. That's where, how we should be studying the scriptures always and benefiting from all kinds of people. So to the end of my days, I will benefit from Matthew Henry. And I, I would want to understand how he thought about things and, and many others too. But we, we ought not to discard the writings and the thoughts of men who have sought to pour their lives into the study of the Word of God. We can learn, we can study, we can prayerfully consider, and then come to our own viewpoint. Let us not be as those who would who would say, Well, because I hold to these views, then I must follow these kinds of people. Or because these people are my favorite authors, uh, then I, I ought to follow their writing and so on. No, we ought to test all things ourselves and hold to that which is good ourselves. But let me say to you this, with all of these things, and, and we will in the next two or three sessions, I would God willing hope to uh, explain to you what does our millennialists believe and, and why do they believe it and, and see if there are certain things that we could ask questions about it as well. Uh, Let me say to you this, our Lord Jesus Christ is coming. How will that affect you? Is it an intriguing thing? Is it something for you to go and uh, and spend all your time drawing charts and uh, listening and watching stuff online and uh, reading all sorts of books about the subject? Well, it is not a bad thing to study and come to a firm understanding of these things. But how does that affect your life? That's the thing that I'm after. Uh, That's what Peter was after when he said those words, looking for, I'm sorry, he said, seeing then, he said, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, seeing then that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in this amazing manner, what manner of persons ought ye to be? That's the question. What manner of person? What kind of people will you be? How will he find you? Will he find you with faith? Will he find you as those, uh, those five virgins who had their lamps with oil in it and it was trimmed and ready for when the Lord, Jesus, when the Lord called? oh, that he might find us ready and waiting and serving like that. Minister in Watersham who who died and went to heaven while on his knees praying, and that's where he had his heart attack, and um, and while he was praying over the list of the members of the church, I thought how wonderful that is, and others who've who've died in the pulpit, or those who've died speaking of the Lord, those who have died speaking something of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking. For and hasting unto the coming of the Lord God. Is that how you are? You're looking forward. Yes, all kinds of things will happen. Many things will happen that you don't expect, and many good things will happen that you didn't expect either. But are you looking forward? Do you have a life that is positive in its pursuit after the Lord Jesus Christ? you know all of these things will, are going to happen to you or this world. Is it making you better? That's the point. Is it making you more Christ-like and godly and zealous? Or making you to be more miserable and unkind and without much love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Having lost that first love, I read of a name of a church that they call themselves First Works Baptist Church. So that's a strange name to call yourself, First Works Baptist Church. But I thought, well, it's a good name in one sense because the Lord Jesus Christ in those seven letters that he wrote to the churches, he says, go back, do the first works, first things, go back to your first love. It's a good reminder. And the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our whatever our view may be, is, is that I, I want to go back again and again, view Him, review my life before Him, what He has done for me, and what He shall do, how He will come, and so on. But I want to be found in those first works that He's called me to do. Well, may the Lord then bless each one of us, dear friends. May we examine all of these doctrines Uh, with not an eye to academic learning and intellectual increase, but a heartfelt love for the Savior and a heartfelt love for His glory.